Why marriage? I want you to go with me to the book of Malachi. No, that's not how it's pronounced. Book of Malachi, chapter 2. That was more for me than for you. Got to take the edge off it, you know? (laughs) Malachi, chapter 2, just two verses. And when we read them, you know, they're not the most comfortable verses in the world. Malachi is a very uncomfortable book. God is basically prosecuting his people uh, because they've just been in a pattern of continual disobedience. And so it's time to not pull the punches. He gets very forthright with him. And I'm going to explain why we need such a forward passage for this topic today. Malachi chapter 2. It's the last book of the Old Testament, verses 15 and 16. The, The Lord says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. God's reminding Israel of what the purpose of marriage actually is. And the reason why this is so important is because he's reminding them of this purpose at a time when marriage is falling apart. You have a bunch of Jewish men uh, in this time period who are divorcing their older Jewish wives because they want to marry younger pagan girls from foreign countries. So in God's eyes, this is just the epitome of all that is despicable, all that is corrupt about what the marriage relationship is supposed to be. And what really makes it lower is not just that they were doing something shallow and carnal. They want to divorce their older wives to take on new younger ones. But there may have been some economic power play going on here. They're living under a foreign empire at this time. The nation of Israel was not sovereign at this point in history. The Persians were ruling. And so if you wanted to get security as far as trade routes are concerned, If you want to become a wealthy merchant uh, and you're not of the nation who's currently in power, you want to try to marry into the right family. It would kind of be like, it's a gold digger today. That's the term that we would use because it's very undignified. It deserves to be called that. It'd be like deliberately making sure you only marry the child of a wealthy business person because you want to kind of marry into the advantage. It's, that's exactly what's going on here. They're, they're trying to get rid of their older wives so they can have younger ones, but it's also economically advantageous. We'll get a shoe in with the trade routes. I'm going to make sure that I can make bank on my trade and everything that I'm trying to do. And so God is dealing with these men in this passage. And he is telling them what you are doing is, is violent in my eyes. You are committing violence against your wives by being unfaithful to them. And so he's very, very strong. And we're also living in a period of time where the family unit is under assault. Marriage is an institution, as God's institution, not a societal institution, as a divine institution, is under attack. And we've got to reclaim its original purpose. And God begins to define it. And this is the first thing that we need to understand about marriage's purpose. The purpose of marriage is about making God's love and faithfulness known. That is what marriage is all about. Marriage is about making God's love and faithfulness known. What does he keep telling them not to do? To guard their hearts and not be faithless. To guard their hearts and not be unfaithful. The purpose of marriage is to make God's love and faithfulness known. That's the ideal. When you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God makes each gender distinct from each other. 
It's deliberate. He makes each gender perfect and a way to glorify himself. The, the male sex is a mode of glorification for God. There is something about being a man that embodies something of his character, but there's also something about being a woman. That embodies his character. God looked at Adam and it was the one thing he said, it's not good. That's the only time. Read the text. Don't take my word for it. Everything else, that's beautiful. It's great. He looks at Adam. It's not good. That he be alone. Because God is trying to express himself in the universe that he's created for his glory. And he was not satisfied with that self-expression until he created woman. But then it wasn't enough to have two genders uh, separate from each other. What's he do? He unites them in marriage. God didn't stop at creating two genders. He went on to create a relationship. He went on to create a family. He went on to create a community. And it was only in forming that loving community between these two people that he was able to be satisfied with his self-expression in his world. And so when we talk about the purpose of marriage today, we are talking about something that's intended to make the love and the faithfulness of God known to the world around us. Each gender, each gender was made to glorify God and their union expresses his faithful love. Each gender was made to glorify God and their union expresses his faithful love. Again, he makes the man first and he's not good enough. Got to throw the woman in there. And all the husbands said, hallelujah. That was not enthusiastic enough. This could determine how your evening goes, gentlemen. You better get a little more peppy than that. All the husbands said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There you go. So the union of the two, the two genders was a way of expressing his faithful love. Now, the idea goes a little further. If you keep your eyes on the screen, Malachi 2.15 says something else. It says that godly marriage is meant to advance God's testimony through strong, happy families. Listen to the verse again. And what does God want from your marriage? Godly children from your union. Godly marriage is meant to advance God's testimony through strong, happy families. Now, you have to understand something. This is not a commandment. Everybody's got to have 10 plus kids. It's like the, the Duggars or something on, on TLC. No, that, that's not a command. I mean, more power to you. God bless you. But this is not a numbers thing. You have to understand, for an Old Testament Israelite, having children, perpetuating your family line, was also about perpetuating your religion. Because their national identity was wrapped up in worshiping the one true God. So as you build your family, you are by default building God's kingdom. And that idea has not stopped today. My job, I am responsible for helping my son realize that his father's God has to become his God. That's my job. I am meant to further the testimony of God in this world by raising a godly family. However many children the Lord might see fit to give me, to give you. He wants to advance his testimony. He wants to make his name great in the earth through the advancement and the creation of strong, happy families. I can't emphasize that enough. And I know this is where it gets hard because our personal experiences come in. Maybe not all of us had a happy family experience growing up. Maybe some of you aren't having a happy family experience right now, but I'm believing the Lord to do a work of healing in and through us today, because this is what he wants. Your family, your family in God's eyes is meant to be one of your biggest and most powerful testimonies that he's real, 
that he's alive and he's still working in the world today. That is what your household has the opportunity to be. And that's why we're going to try to wrap this up on time because we want to take time to pray at the end. We want to take time to pray at the end. So marriage is about making God's love and faithfulness known. Now, one of the issues that we really need to take time to address is how families are formed. Because people are forming families, they're living together, they're having children outside of the covenant of marriage. And the question that becomes, well, is this really a big deal? Why does that matter so much? We really love each other. We're, we're committed to one another. Okay, that's great. So sign the piece of paper. I mean, really, just sign the piece of paper. If, it, well, if you've already got all the, the necessary ingredients there, why are you afraid of the dotted line? Just, just sign it, you know? This is important. I'm duly inspired for this today because I went to a wedding yesterday, and it was beautiful. If you knew the, the testimonies of these two people that uh, came together in the marriage covenant yesterday, what miraculous lives, what miraculous lives. And now God brought them together in a beautiful uh, marriage yesterday. And this is one of the ways it was, it was beautiful to see this, this young man who came from just everything you would think being a thug looks like, you know I mean? Just, I, he, he spoke at the gate. That was the first time I ever met him. It was several years ago now. And he put a before and after picture of himself up on the screen as he was testifying. And in the, in the before picture, he was smoking a mile long or a cigar or something. He, and he looked just out, dazed out of his mind stone. He looked like the picture of, of what sin does to a person. And he stood up on that platform basically saying, and look at me now. This man went to summit. He finished with excellence, graduated after two years, and now he is happily married, going on his honeymoon. This is what Jesus does. And see, here's the deal. Yesterday, two people made a public commitment before God and human witnesses that there would be no one else in their life but the person they were making a promise to. You are not to engage in family life like this, forming a family, living together outside the confines of marriage. It is only your promise that entitles you to another person's body. It is only your commitment that gives you the right to live with that person and ask them to at times bend their knee to your preferences. This is not a game, but we're playing games with something that is sacred to the heart of God. And it's time to take back what it was meant to be. It's time to take back what it was meant to be. Marriage. If you'll look again at the screen, marriage is God's safe and only acceptable setting for sex. It is God's safe. I'm going to emphasize that. It is his safe and only acceptable setting for sex. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Now, immoral and adultery, those are basically two big categories that cover any kind of sexual activity outside of your marriage to your spouse. And the Bible bears no bones about it. If you are engaging in sexual activity outside of this one context that God has given his stamp of approval to, it warrants judgment. He is not okay with it. It is unacceptable in his eyes. It is his only acceptable and the safe setting for sexual union and also by extension for, for cohabitation. Now we're being sold two lies in our culture today that we, that we need to confront and kill. They should not be able to survive in the church of Jesus Christ. And hopefully we'll stamp on the heads of the snakes, uh, so to speak, as we go through this. The first lie is this, that sex is how you secure a relationship. 
That's how you secure. If you really want to make sure everything is on the up and up and you really want to win their favor, it's become a casual experiment in self-gratification. It's all that it is. We've cheapened it. We've absolutely cheapened it. But that's not God's design. God designed sex to be preceded by commitment, not the other way around. God designed sex to be preceded by commitment, not the other way around. You are not entitled to another person's physical body until you are committed to their soul. You are not. You don't have the right to say all the right words. You don't have the right to make it about you. There is no need to experiment or sample. Those are some of the biggest, most ignorant lies. Even on a basic scientific level, we don't even need to get biblical with it yet, but we will. Even on a scientific level, it is ignorant to tell people that, well, you've got to make sure you're compatible. People who say that know as much about sex as I do about nuclear fission. I don't even know what nuclear fission is. I'm serious. We've got to, because I remember being in high school championing my Christian values and talking about abstinence. And I remember a girl stumping me one time. And she said, well, you've at least got to have sex before you, you, you get married. Like when you're engaged, at least. I mean, I said, well, no, why? why? Why would you do that? You can wait until marriage. And she said, well, what if the other person can't satisfy you? Then you're stuck. And I was like, uh, I'm 16 at the time. I know nothing about nothing. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, what about that? You know, I got a little worried there. You, you don't know what to say. And I'm like, I know Jesus is right. So surely there's an answer. But I didn't know what it was at that time. But we're being sold these big lies. And we think that we can use sex as a tool. It, really, it's about ourselves. We're conditioned to be selfish. We're being conditioned to be selfish. Look, marriage is not just about saying yes to sex, though. Marriage is about saying yes to everything. Marriage is about saying yes to taxes together. Marriage is about saying yes to a possible cancer diagnosis, God forbid, and not leaving the person when they're in that place. Marriage is about saying yes to the rough nights when you don't know if the kids are going to come home or not. Marriage is about saying yes to all of life. Not just the highlights, not the selfish stuff that you want to do guilt-free. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is about saying yes no matter what. For richer, for poor, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, there will be nobody else. And it's meant to be preceded by that commitment. Because if you think about it, this is, sex is the most vulnerable position you will ever put yourself in with another human being. And God wants it to be the safest. You have the right to know. You have the right to know that the other person you are giving yourself away to has fully given their heart away to you. That is the way God designed it to work. And if they are going to make you earn that by giving them your body first, they're a liar. You should run for your life. Get out of that relationship. Don't play with it. You will only get burned. You will only get burned. This is how it's supposed to work. God's design is actually the healthiest. If you, if you need to give the other person your body before they'll give you a commitment, before they'll give you a promise, just get out. They are not worth your time. They're not worth the value that God placed upon you when he made you. They are not worth it. The second lie that we're being sold is that you need to make sure you're compatible. I touched on this already. Yes, I've discovered the answer. <laughs> Praise God. You need to make sure you're sexually compatible before you marry someone. And that is absolutely not true. Sexual compatibility in the sense of, can the other person satisfy me? Look, that's something that's actually meant to be grown and developed after you're married. I wish someone had told me this when I was a teenager. 
The, the days of feeling bad and embarrassed about talking about this in church are long gone, folks. The world is being shamelessly open, and they're lying to our kids. If we're still embarrassed, we're throwing them to the lions. It's time to be open. It's time to be very open. I'm not throwing my son to the dogs. I'm not doing it. I'll keep everything age appropriate. I'll never be out to be crass, but my goodness, I want him to hear it from me first. I want him to hear the truth. I want him to hear the truth first. Marital intimacy, if you'll direct your attention to the screen again, marital intimacy is a grand adventure of mutual respect and dignity. It is a grand adventure of mutual respect and dignity. When you read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, now I'm convinced that Paul had to be married because single people just don't know this. <laughs> but he said the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. What did he just do? He completely equalized the marriage relationship. There is no power play. There is no greater than or less than. There's no dominant and submissive one. When it comes to the bedroom, Paul says, total equality. In other words, you always never make it about yourself. You make it about the dignity and the respect that you have for the other person. You always make it about that. Really, marital intimacy is, is to be marked by servanthood. At the end of the day, that's what it's to be marked by. And when we make it this, this search for compatibility, it's all about you. It's entirely selfish. This is a journey of growth. It's, we strip it of its beauty when we talk like that. It's a grand moment of discovery. My wife and I were both virgins until our wedding night. And guess what? I didn't feel like I'd missed out on anything. Hallelujah. And I didn't feel like I was lacking something, this idiotic notion that you've got to have experience. No, you don't. That's part of the beauty of it. You're taking the journey together. You're giving each other the greatest gift, your innocence. It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be one of the most glorious exchanges that can take place in a human, in a human relationship. And we've cheapened it. We've taken all the glory out of it. Well, you just got to try some things out. I mean, what if it doesn't? It's absolutely ignorant, folks. Absolutely ignorant. And listen, I want to tell you something. You, maybe you have a bit of a history in this area. Listen, do not think for a moment. Well, I've already ruined it for myself. Look, Jesus Christ restores all things. And you can make a fresh commitment that, you know what, Lord, from this day forward, from this day forward, I will not be with anyone again until it's on my wedding night. And God will bless you. He will bless that. You can have your virginity back in the eyes of God. You absolutely can. He restores all things. We're talking about a grand adventure that God has designed couples to take together until death does them part. You do not need to practice before you get married. That is the lie that the world is selling us. And we are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. And by the time you do get to your wedding night, you're so damaged. You're so damaged. You've given yourself away one too many times. And it, just all the mystique is taken out of it. And you don't realize how much selfishness you're bringing into the marriage bed. Look, this is real stuff. God designed it this way. Look, the world's idea of safe sex only protects your body. God's idea of safe sex protects your soul. It protects all of you. It protects every bit of you. We've got to get back to the model that God gave because this is about his glory. 
This is about his self-expression. This is about him making himself known through the way that we love our spouses, through the way that we raise our children. It's time to take it back. And that's why the last thought that I want to leave with you today is that marriage is always, always, always worth fighting for. Marriage is always worth fighting for. Again, the primary issue in Malachi chapter 2 was people being entirely selfish. You had men divorcing their wives for the, the most ridiculous, evil reasons imaginable. And God calls it abominable in his presence. And so what he's doing here is he's actually trying to teach them how to fight for their marriages. And what it comes down to is this. The way you fight for your marriage is you fight against your selfishness. You fight for your marriage by fighting against your selfishness. That is always the root cause. In, in, in Malachi 2, in verse 16, it says that God hates divorce. He hates it. He hates it because of the damage that it does. And Jesus says in the Gospels that basically the reason why divorce happens is because one or both parties has hardened their hearts. He tells these Jewish men, well, can't we divorce our wives for burning the toast? He says, no, because that's really what they believed. And the disciples were so offended at his answer, Jesus went on to, uh, sorry, the disciples told him later, well, if that's the case with the man and his wife, it's better to stay single. So you want to talk about a culture conditioned for selfishness? You mean I, if she burns my dinner, I have to keep her? That's literally what they were saying. And Jesus told them, excuse me, if your wife has not been sexually unfaithful to you, you don't have any business divorcing her. None whatsoever. And so he goes on to say that, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, the Old Testament law, because of the hardness of your heart, allowed this provision for divorce. If you want to fight for your marriage, you fight against your selfishness. Before you retaliate, you fire back and you, you let the blood boil a little bit. You got to step back and look, this is, this is an art. <laughs> I don't always get it right. You got to step back and say, all right, am I being ridiculous? You know, and that's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. If seven years of marriage have taught me anything, it's that I'm a, I'm a rather selfish man. But I'm also a really happy man because God's given me a gracious, gracious woman who keeps on forgiving me, who keeps on loving me. And I think it was Anne Graham Lotz that actually said that marriage is about two really good forgivers living together and staying together. That's really what it is. That's why marriage is a yes to everything. Marriage is not just yes so long as it's working. Really, the fine print there, as long as it's working for me. That's the fine print. No, marriage is yes to everything, no matter what. On your good days, on your bad days. On your good days and on your bad days. Is marriage just a piece of paper? Yeah. So sign it. <laughs> you know, God designed this to be something that we would do legally and civilly. God designed marriage to be the bedrock of any society. Strong families make for strong communities. And that's why we do this publicly. That's why we sign dotted lines. Look, if you won't put your name on a line for somebody, I doubt you're going to put your life on the line for them. Really. You should tweet that. That was good. <laughs> Marriage is designed by God to make humanity thrive. It shows us his love and his faithfulness. It's the safest the only acceptable setting for sexual intimacy, it's always worth fighting for. It's always worth fighting for. You know, I um, had a strange moment of deliberation when I was writing the notes for this teaching, and 
in, in the first point, I had written about how God advances his testimony through, through strong, happy families. I had originally put strong, stable families. And I was thinking about that and reflecting on how life has been for my wife and I and our, our little boy. And I looked back over the past seven years and I said, you know what? Life makes me feel like I don't have a clue what stability is. <laughs> life is so turbulent and crazy and up and down. But then I think about her and I know I might not be stable all the time. Life might be really crazy, but I know I'm happy. I know I'm happy. And I want that for all of you in this room. If you're single and you're looking to get married someday, I, I want you to be happy in your marriage. If, if you are currently married, I, I want that for all of you. And that's what God wants for all of us. You know, God does want us to be happy. The trick is making sure our definition of happiness lines up with his. If your idea of being happy in a marriage means you're always the right one, well, look, we're going to have to, yeah, we got to correct a few things there. That's not the way that it works. I, I don't know what stability is half the time. Life is so crazy, but I know I'm, I'm happy and I'm sure glad that she's along for the ride with me, you know? And that's how God advances his testimony. Marriage is so critical. So I want to invite you to stand with me today and I just have a very simple altar call. It's a little lengthy. Maybe, um, I suppose I'll just call these suggestions. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you feel God tugging at your heart, then, you know, certainly come down and join us for a time of prayer. But I really want to cry out for people who have lost their faith in marriage, whether it's because of how your own went, your own has gone, or maybe because of what you saw growing up, I want to pray that God would restore your heart and I want you to make a bold step. I want you to come down here and, and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Lord, restore my faith in this thing. You designed it. If you designed it, you call it a good thing. I can't call it a bad thing. If you designed it to be a healthy thing for human relationships, then I can't call it an evil thing. Maybe for those who have been wounded, you gave yourself away too early and you know you've just damaged yourself. You've given yourself away one too many times. I believe God wants to restore you today and I want you to come down. I want you to come down and just let your heart be made whole. Let your mind be restored because Jesus loves you and he's not ashamed of you and he wants to heal you. And finally, if there's any couples here, if there's any married people and your, your marriage is in a difficult place and you want to fight for it, then you need to come down. You above everybody else in this room, you need to come down. You really do. Grab the hand of your spouse and say, let's go. Don't, don't give up the fight. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Every marriage in this room is worth fighting for. Jesus loves your marriage. It's meant to be an expression of his love and of his faithfulness. And I don't care how deep it is. I'm going to tell you a story while you're coming. I, w I didn't mean to go here. I saw Jesus heal a marriage miraculously in 45 minutes when I was in Nigeria I was working with a medical missions team. We would go into the bush and the most impoverished parts of the country, and we would just give out free medical care to everybody in the region. I don't know a thing about medicine, so I just did all the evangelism. They would send me the witch doctors and the people with incurable diseases. So I had a good time, a really good time. There was one day I got called down to our, our educational uh, department where they would basically teach the people the basics of hygiene and, and other things, and this... Uh, the doctor who was taking me down said, you know, there's a, a couple here that we really need you to talk to. I'm 21 years old at the time. Very single. So very single. 
very not ready for, for being married, you know? So this is an example of God using the foolish to confound the wise. Um, and he said, you know, the, the husband came in and tested for HIV and he was positive. And we immediately asked him, are you married? And he said, yes. And they said, you need to go home and get your wife right now and bring her in so she can be tested. And sure enough, uh, she had tested positive as well. She contracted it from him. And, uh, you know, the moment I walked in the room, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, this man must weep over his sin. I'm scared to death. I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to make him cry. You want me to twist his arm? You need to make him weep over his sin. I, I can't do that. And, you know, I'm just totally dependent on Jesus in this situation. And I, I looked at him and I said, I, I want to talk to you privately for a moment. This guy's probably two times my age. He's at least 45. And, you know, this 20-year-old punk is taking him into a private room to talk to him about his marital issues. And I said, do you know how you got HIV? He said, no, no, I don't. I said, have you been unfaithful to your wife? And I couldn't believe the honesty. He said, well, yes, I have been. I said, was it with one woman or with many women? He said, it was with many women. I looked and I said, I'll tell you exactly where you got HIV from. You got it from being unfaithful to your wife. And now she has this awful disease. Does she know? He said, I told her this morning. I said, well, let's go back in. And to make a long story short, the most heartbreaking moment was when she looked at me, still being entirely selfless. There was not a note of selfishness in this woman. She looked at me and all she could think was, if I die from this awful disease, who's going to look after my children? They had four children. He's holding the infant in his arms and the others are gathered around her and she's ready to leave him. And you have to understand in that particular part of the country, it was, it was not, uh, you know, very, you know, very westernized. I'm, I'm not trying to speak in a, in a degrading way. It's just the nature of it. A woman leaving the husband was unthinkable because she was more than likely dooming herself to a good degree of poverty. She would not be able to care for the children. So she's in an extreme state of pain over what she's found out, um, over the fate of her children. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you've betrayed her. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. I don't do that often. But in this case I did. I said, you're not a Christian. He said, yes, I am. I, I prayed the, I said, I don't care what you prayed. You're not a Christian. If you could live like this and do this to your wife, and, and have no remorse, and only now that you're caught, you care, you're not a Christian. I said, before you even think about asking her to stay, you need to get right with her. You, uh, sorry, you need to get right with God. And so I led him in the sinner's prayer. I was very specific about repenting of his sin, not just sin in general, but his sin. And I said, now that you've gotten right with God, you need to look at her, and you need to ask her to forgive you. You need to repent to her just as much as you did to the Lord. This is maybe 40 minutes into the meeting. He can't even look at her. He's clutching his infant. And he says, I've sinned against you. I wronged you. And I'm sorry. And he began to just sob. He just began to sob. And this woman looked at me and her face looked completely different. There was a light in her eyes that had not been there the whole time. And she said, I'm so grateful for my family. And I'm so thankful for my husband. I'm not going to leave him. That's the kind of miracle that Jesus can work in a broken heart. And maybe there's scars at this altar today. Maybe there's a lot of wounds here. You've been betrayed. You felt that sting. Look, you don't have to live governed by that pain anymore. You can be made whole. And if there's any couples here and there's a need for repentance, look, talk to each other while you're talking to Jesus. Say you're sorry. Let's fix it. This is, this is God's self-expression. Those of you that have lost faith in marriage, look, Jesus is still trying to express who he is through the marriage covenant. Don't give up on it.
if he's not giving up on marriages, then neither can we. We don't have the right to give up on things that Jesus is still fighting for. We don't have the right to do that. There might be a lot of evidence to say that marriages doesn't work. Marriage is this, marriage is that. But look, God is still fighting for it. And we can't let people's corruption of his good thing warp our view of how life is supposed to work. So we're, we're going to take a few moments just to, to worship the Lord. And we're going to come back and pray together. But just begin to talk to the Lord and give your heart over to him. And you ask him to heal you wherever you need healing. Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, to do a work of healing in every heart that's at this altar today. God, we cry out for strong, happy families in this church. Lord, we thank you that it is not impossible with you. God, I pray for every husband in this room. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love our wives as Christ has loved us, church. Lord, that we would be sacrificial. Lord, I pray that we would never be distant. Lord, I pray, oh God, that we would be humble. Lord, I pray that we would never be intimidating, that we would be gentle, tender-hearted men in the way that we treat and regard our wives. God, may they never feel unsafe with us, Lord. Father, may they always feel at ease with us, oh God. Lord, I pray for every wife in this room. Lord, I pray that you would give her a heart to build up her husband. Lord, to make him feel like a champion and a hero. God, I pray that you would make every wife in this room a source of incredible strength and encouragement to the man that you've placed them with. God, I pray, Lord, for every single person. God, I pray that you would help them to guard their sexual purity in your eyes, oh God. Lord, if any among us have taken too big of a step forward in a relationship and they're living together, they're not married. God, I pray that they would respond to the healthy, good conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, they would make other arrangements until they can give that promise to each other before God and witnesses. Lord, I pray that you would help all of them to preserve themselves until their wedding night, oh God. Lord, whether they are still virgins or they've given themselves away, God, you restore all things. And Lord, it is your desire to bless their weddings. It is your desire to bless their marriages, O oh God. And not all the sin of the past has the power to take away from what you can give them, Lord. So Jesus, I pray that they would fearlessly move forward in obedience with your design for marriage. With your design for human intimacy. God, I pray for healing in every heart that's lost its faith in marriage. God, for every wound that has told us that this doesn't work, this is a joke, this isn't real, you can't trust people, it's only going to last so long. How long can a person really stay faithful, really stay happy? And Lord, I pray that we would dismiss the lies that have come through our pain. Lord, help us to dismiss every lie that has used our, our agony as a door to come in and say, see, this is the way things really work. Lord, we reject those things and we command Satan to be silent in the name of Jesus. Marriage is God's design. This is your self-expression. And Lord, just because people have corrupted it, Lord, we're not going to miss out on the beauty that you've intended it to be. And we pray that that beauty would be manifested in this church, oh God. Lord, I'm praying, oh God, that every marriage in this church would be marked by the beauty and the glory of God. Lord, I'm praying that when people look at the marriages in this church, it would be like going to church, Lord God. Father, that your presence would be what marks our marriage relationships. 
that dignity and respect, oh God, on both sides would be what marks it, oh God. Lord, that our children would grow up feeling safe, oh Lord, that they would grow up feeling content in their hearts because they know that mom and dad love each other. Lord, where, where divorce has left its mark, oh God, I pray for restoration in Jesus' name. I pray for restoration in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know, God, just the one thing I feel to say in my heart is that there is no pain, there is no problem too complex for you to help. There is nothing, Lord, that you are not able to navigate. Lord, you know life is messy. God, I thank you. You're the, you're the God who takes messes and you bring them back into order again. You bring beauty out of the ashes. So, Lord, I, I just thank you, God, that you're able to do good, Lord, where so much evil has been done, where there's been betrayal, where there's been confusion. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're able to bring clarity and truth. God, I thank you that you can mend every heart in this room today. God, restore our faith. Lord, this is not a human institution. This is not just a, a societal thing or some civil law. No, Lord, this is God's design for how he wants people to flourish. This is how you built community. You took two people and you united them, oh God, to express your love and your faithfulness to the world around them. And that design has not changed. And Lord, I pray that you would use Use us, Lord God, to keep that going, to keep that design going. I, I begin with my own heart, Lord. God Almighty, Lord, help me to pastor my wife and my son before I try to pastor anybody else. Lord, may I have their admiration before I have anyone else's all the days of my life. God, may we never be content to only feel your presence in the sanctuary, Lord. May we desire to feel it in our living rooms, oh God. Oh, Lord. May we take you home with us every Sunday, God. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, do this, oh God, because we need it so desperately, so desperately, God. Father, thank you for the restoring work. And Lord, just the, the last thing, I don't want to forget this, God. Any marriages here today, again, Lord, that, that are in a place of struggle and difficulty, God, I pray that you would help them both, Lord. Help them, oh God, to humble themselves, to forgive, to repent, Lord, bring restoration, oh God. You love marriage. You love it, Lord. You designed it to tell the world who you are. So God, help them, Lord Jesus. Help them, oh God. Lord, for any who perhaps have an unbelieving spouse, Lord, I pray that you would save that spouse, oh God. You would save that unsaved husband. You would save that unsaved wife, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would bring them into the fold or that when they see the godliness, the gentleness, the patience just coming, Lord, from their spouse, they would be convicted, God, and they wouldn't be able to run from it anymore. God, bring them to their knees, oh God. Lord, there is no mountain too big for you to move. There is no problem too big for you to handle, oh God. Lord, we, we bring all of our pain to you today, and we lay it at your feet. We lay it at your feet, knowing that you're big enough, you're strong enough, and we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Beloved, just believe God today. Just believe God. No matter how complicated things seem to be, no matter what, just believe God and keep on fighting. Amen? Amen.